0: Well, this morning, we're, um, we're continuing our July sermon series. It's called A Liturgical Life. And this morning, we look at liturgies of rest. And to do so, we're going we're gonna to talk about a few different practices that all start with the letter S, which is helpful. Stillness, silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Stillness, silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Now, you may get the impression sometimes that a preacher standing in front of you sharing about something has it all figured out about that thing. I don't think that's really ever the case, but I can only, um, I can only know what's true for me. And for me, I'll just be honest with you this morning that I really struggle when it comes to these things, stillness, silence, solitude, and rest. I find it really hard to stop. I find it really hard to cease the activity in my life, to put my phone down, to put away all the distractions, and to simply be. I can relate to, there's a quote in your bulletin, we'll come back to it later, but Henry Nouwen gives this comical uh, illustration. Uh, He says, our inner lives are like a banana tree that's filled with monkeys jumping up and down. Can anybody relate to that? I totally know what he's talking about. Because whenever I try to stop and be still and quiet, it seems like my mind revs up, ramps up the activity. Is anybody with me in that struggle this morning? Yes, good. Everybody else has mastered stillness, silence, solitude, and Sabbath, Well, I'm glad, I'm way less lonely this morning knowing that this is a struggle for many of us, and if the rest of us are honest, this is a struggle for all of us. And as I've reflected this week, I've been really struck that I think this is God's graciousness and kindness to me, that he would give me this sermon. Weeks ago, I mentioned to my wife that I was preaching on this in July, and she just kind of chuckle to herself because I'm so bad at this. This is such a struggle for me. But it's the Lord's graciousness. It's the Lord's kindness because I've noticed him waking me up on my inside to all these things. And what I'm convicted by is that if, if I don't wake up and learn to practice these things that God not only invites us to, but that God actually commands us to practice then one day I'll experience a crash and burn that will be really hurtful to me and to the people around me who I love the most. And so I'm so glad, I'm so thankful that God has started to wake me up this week, and I think a lot of you are probably right there with me. Like, if we don't learn to practice these things together, then all of us have, coming up sometime down the road, a crash and burn That'll hurt us and will hurt those who are closest to us. So, my prayer is that the Lord would wake us up this morning and we'd learn to practice liturgies of rest. So, we're in Exodus chapter 20 and we see that cultivating a liturgy of rest is really serious to God. It's right on the surface in the text. We're looking at the fourth commandment, the Ten Commandments, we're looking at commandment number four remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. But look at this. Let me point out something. If you have your Bible open in front of you, you'll be able to see this. Look at the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Commandment number seven, you shall not commit adultery. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal. And now look at the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day, on and on and on. Do you see many of the commandments are four or five words that fit into one verse. But God gives us four verses here about Sabbath. God gives us lots of words. Maybe it's because this is a really serious thing to God, and he knew that this would be the commandment that we would take The least seriously. Like if I murder somebody, that's a really big deal, right? Like my job, my ministry with this church, all of that would be over. My family would be crushed. I'd go spend the rest of my days in jail. But if I don't Sabbath, like if I don't take time weekly to rest and to stop and to cease activity, If I don't take time to be still, and quiet, and silent, that's not only not frowned upon in our culture, and in our day, but that's maybe even celebrated, right? In our busy, um, achievement-driven, success-oriented culture, Liturgies of rest are counter-cultural in our day. Liturgies of rest are counter-liturgies that curate our hearts. Listen to this. They curate our hearts away from the frenzied pace of the world and towards God and the life and the peace and the depth that He wants for you. Our culture doesn't know how to stop, and therefore, thus, you... You may hate me for saying this, but you as a product of our culture, you don't know how to stop either. And Sabbath, silence, solitude, stillness, these liturgies of rest curate our hearts. They reculture us, reform us, retrain us to stop and to learn what it means to be with one another, to be with ourselves and to be with God. Now, I need to clarify this, that this morning what we're talking about with liturgies of rest, it's not just inactivity. Like, it's not just not doing stuff. It's not checking out or disengaging or distracting yourself through food or drink or entertainment or whatever it might be. That's not what we're talking about this morning. And I don't want to, I'm not... I don't want to vilify those things food drink entertainment like sometimes it's it's good to enjoy those things in the right way right but that's not what we're talking about this morning we're not talking about disengaging from your heart we're actually talking about engaging your heart we're not talking about disconnecting we're actually talking about connecting and leaning in to God's presence and what God is up to thomas merton was a 20th century mystic, Christian mystic, who wrote a lot and experienced a lot when it comes to silence and solitude. And he helps us with this distinction, that it's not just not working, it's not just a ceasing activity, but it's actually a posture of the heart. Look at what Thomas Merton says, specifically about silence. Silence has many dimensions. It can be a regression or an escape. It can be a loss of self or it can be a presence, an awareness, unification, self-discovery. Negative silence blurs and confuses our identity, and we lapse into daydreams or diffuse anxieties. Positive silence pulls us together and makes us realize who we are, who we might be, and the distance between the two. Hence, positive silence implies a choice and what Paul Tillich calls the courage to be. The courage to be. Positive silence. Not checking out, but actually checking in. Not disengaging, but actually engaging your heart. Liturgies of rest as a posture of heart. It's a choice that we make, and it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard to make this choice, to step into these practices So I've been reflecting on why that is, and I've been examining Scripture. I've been considering my own heart, and I have three possible reasons for why we have such a hard time with this, okay? You might find yourself connecting um, more with one of these reasons than the other, so I want you to listen closely and to try to figure out where you connect, because it'll tell you some important things about yourself. So three reasons we find it hard to really engage and press in to liturgies of rest, And then for each of these reasons, I have a promise from Scripture, a promise that like, if you're able to grab hold of just a little bit, you'll find it, like, give your heart some courage to take a step into some of these liturgies. And you'll also discover that as you step into these liturgies of rest, you'll live with these promises more and more, like they'll take deeper and deeper root in your life So why do we have such a hard time with this? See if you connect with any of these. First, we don't practice liturgies of rest because we're afraid of the pain that we'll encounter. We're a pain-averse people. We don't like pain. And we know something that's true, that if you quiet yourself... If you sit still, if you get away alone, if you take a day to be by yourself, then all of a sudden you'll find yourself remembering these parts of you that need attention that you've been avoiding. You'll find yourself reliving these stories in your life that you don't want to go back to. You'll find all of these dreams that you had, that are unfulfilled. Wading into stillness, and silence, and solitude, and Sabbath, means waiting and stepping into pain. Because the minute that you stop, disappointment, resentment, shame, guilt, all of those things come flying up to the surface. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe it's because you've never truly been quiet and still in the way that Thomas Merton talks about long enough to experience that. This is one of the reasons that we're such a smartphone-addicted culture. I want to read to you um, a quote from a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. Many of you have read this book. It's really, really good. It's, um, It's at the book table in the back. One of the books we're recommending for this series And Tish Harrison Warren in this quote is talking about a study. Look at what she says. A fascinating and somewhat disturbing study out of the University of Virginia showed that, given the choice, many people preferred undergoing electric shock to sitting alone with their thoughts. Study participants were exposed to a mild shock, which 100% of them, they all reported that they did not like. And in fact, they would pay money not to have to undergo again. But when they were left alone in an empty room with a shocker button for just 15 minutes, removed from all distractions, unable to check their phones or listen to music, two-thirds of the men and one-fourth of the women in the study chose voluntarily to shock themselves rather than to sit alone in silence. Isn't that crazy? Two-thirds of the men, come on, fellas, and one-fourth of the women, chose to shock themselves and endure this thing that everyone said they didn't like, and we will pay money not to have to do that again. But we'd rather do that than sit in silence by ourselves with our thoughts and with our feelings. And the reason that that is is because we don't want to encounter the pain that will meet there. But listen to this promise. that's so clear in Scripture, and it's so clear in the testimony of the saints throughout the centuries. God is with you. God is with you, and it's in the stillness, in the quiet, in the solitude, when you stop, that you'll find God with you. Look at this quote that's in your bulletin from Henry Nowen. Our inner life is like a banana tree filled with monkeys jumping up and down. It is not easy to sit and trust that in solitude God will speak to us, not as a magical voice, but as knowledge that grows gradually over the years and in that word from God, we will find the inner place from which to live our lives. Solitude is where Jesus listened to God. It is where we listen to God. Solitude is where community begins. See, it's ironic, but if you feel lonely, maybe the thing that you need to practice is intentionally being alone. Because it's, maybe it's, in your quiet, in your loneliness, that you'll discover God is with you. In Luke chapter 5, Luke tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Throughout the Gospels, we see over and over and over Jesus going off to be by himself, with himself and with his Father, Solitude, stillness, silence, Sabbath, these were liturgies that Jesus embodied that were so important for him to practice. The psalmists were written by Hebrew people for whom liturgies of rest was a really, really big deal. And over and over and over throughout the book of Psalms, all these poems and songs of praise and songs of lament we see that it's in stillness, in stillness, where these poets, where these songwriters, where they met with God. In Psalm 46, verse 10, the psalmist writes to us, Be still and know that I am God. A lot of churches try to help people encounter God by like filling up your schedules with a lot of stuff. Right, like You're just going to be really busy Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, all throughout the week, Saturday. We just want you to have a lot of stuff so that you can encounter God. But we see so clearly throughout scriptures that maybe it's not engaging in more stuff. Maybe it's pulling back and practicing these ancient liturgies of rest that you'll encounter the promise and experience deep within your soul the promise that God is with you. God is with you. The second reason... I think we don't like to practice these liturgies is because we're afraid of losing control. We're afraid of losing control. Sabbath is such a good and gracious gift from God because it reminds us of something that's very fundamental and very important to your humanity. Sabbath reminds you, these liturgies of rest remind you that you are as a human limited. You're limited. We live with this illusion that we're in control, and that if you stop, so many things will fall apart, but it's really not true. Like, you think you're in control of all these things, but you're actually a very limited, very not in control sort of person. In the text we read this morning, Exodus 20 verse 11, we see uh, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. The Lord made the heavens and the earth. Like God's the creator. God's the one who's in control. So the promise that we see is that God's got you. God's got you. God's got you. And God's got this. It'll all be okay. The Lord, God is the one who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Not you. He's the creator. You're not in uh, Moses' retelling of the Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy, as the Hebrew people were about to go into the land that God had promised them, Moses is reminding God's people of all these, all these commandments and all these promises that God had given them. And as he's talking about the fourth commandment about Sabbath, he says this, and this is a refrain that's repeated throughout the Hebrew scriptures. In Deuteronomy 5:15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Listen to this. Liturgies of rest throughout Scripture always point back to creation and redemption. Because in creation and redemption, we see and we experience God's unlimitedness and our limitedness. God's the one who created all this. So you can just rest and you can be at peace because he's got you. God's the one who redeemed you. Like God did this with an outstretched arm with his might and with his loves towards you. So you can just rest. You can be at peace because God's got you. For me, um, Sabbath is so important, yet I struggle so much to practice this. Because I have this, again, this illusion of control that if I stop, Christ City Church is just gonna implode. You know, like I'm gonna miss an email on Saturday and we're gonna show up here on Sunday morning and like not be able to get in the doors or the air conditioner's gonna be broken or none of the volunteers are gonna be here, like and everything's gonna fall apart. And so Sabbath for me, it's, it's so important for me to step into this because of what I found as I practice this more and more is that like none of that happens, Right? It's all just okay. When I Sabbath, like I need to know this promise going into it, but then as I step into it, I experience this promise more and more that God's got me and God's got Christ City Church. If I miss an email and it takes me more than a couple hours to respond, it's okay. And I'm sorry to you if you text or email me on Saturdays. It's okay, God's got this. If you miss a phone call, if you miss a text message from a coworker, it's just all gonna be okay because God's got you. You are not in control. There's this practice that I've picked up over the last year and a half or so, and it's called um, a compline prayer. Compline. It's this word that means complete. And ancient Christians throughout the centuries would practice praying at fixed hours throughout their day. And so the Compline prayer would be the prayer that they would pray when the day's complete, when the day's over. So Right before bedtime, you read these prayers and pray some personal prayers as well. And so, confident prayers always include psalms like the one that we read earlier from Psalm 121. So, let me read just a couple verses from that psalm and just consider what would your life look like if every night as you were going to bed, you read a psalm like this one? If you remembered that God is in charge. And you can just rest and be at peace. Listen to a couple verses from Psalm 121. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. As we develop these habits, these rhythms, these liturgies, like these things take root in our heart. And I know I can lie down and sleep in peace, like Psalm 4 says. Because God, the creator, Christ, my redeemer, he does not sleep. He does not slumber. He's got me and he's got this and it's all going to be okay. The third reason we're afraid to practice liturgies of rest, we don't do this well, is because we think that we have to prove something. We think that we have to prove something. Many of us, and I'm the chief among you in this regard, many of us live as performers, constantly trying to prove our worth, trying to prove to other people, to show other people that we matter, that we have value. And so we're so busy functioning as, as human doings, like doing all this stuff, performing, trying to show people that we matter instead of operating simply as human beings, like God's created us. See, there's another another side to Sabbath, another really important and fundamental thing about your humanity that Sabbath shows you. And as you practice Sabbath, as you practice these liturgies of rest, that you'll see growing up more and more in your heart. And it's not only that you're limited as a person, but it's also that you matter as a human being. You have worth, you have dignity, you have value. God sees you and God loves you. Not because of what you've done to prove to him how awesome you are, but simply because of who you are as his son or as his daughter, as a human being whom he created, who bears the divine imprint, the image of God. God loves you and you matter. Remember that Sabbath, liturgy of rest, always point back to two things. Do you remember? Creation, creation, And also redemption. Because in redemption, you see just how much you matter to God. Like, look at the extent to which he was willing to go for you. Because he loves you. Like, when you were unable to do anything for yourself, God moved towards you in Jesus. And you matter more. You have more value than you can even know. And so you can just stop you can just stop, you can give in, you can be quiet, you can be still, and stop trying to achieve and earn and prove something to yourself or to others or to God. So um, here's a conviction. It's, it seems so small, but it's, it's really significant. Um, so I, uh, I like to run, I've shared stories before um, about difficult races where I ended up vomiting, and that's neither here nor there. That's not the point today. Um, And uh, so a tremendous challenge for me is like what would happen if I just went for a run and I didn't track my run right? Isn't it, are any of you runners? And you're just like, no, like that's, you can't do that. Like you got to wear your watch. Or you got to have your phone with you. You got to see how far you go. You got to see how fast you go. And now it's so crazy because like there are all these apps that allow you to share that with other people, just like everything, right? Like you can share that so other people can see how great of a job you're doing or how much you struggled. And then you got to like type up something to defend yourself, right? Like I shouldn't have drank that, venti iced latte from Starbucks right before this race. Like you gotta type something like that just so everyone knows. And so that struck me and I'm like, man, what am I doing? I'm trying to perform. Like I'm trying to prove myself. Can I not just like go out and enjoy being a human and enjoy like running and enjoying God's creation without trying to achieve something or to prove my worth, even if it's just to myself, like so that I, I can sleep tonight knowing like I matter. I count, I have worth, I have value. If I just stop and if I do nothing except sit in stillness and quiet, spend a day not working, not performing, not achieving anything, but just being with my family and with my friends, like I'll learn that God loves me. That's the promise. God loves you. Not because of what I'm doing, but because of who I am. So let me transition. Here's a dream that I have for Christ City Church. A dream that I have is that we could be so encouraged, like given courage by these promises, that God's with you, God's got you, and God loves you, that we could be given such courage that we could begin to step into these practices And as we step into them, those promises will take deeper and deeper root in our heart and we'll live with this sort of peaceful presence in the world, filled with the Holy Spirit. And people will be attracted to that, like there would be something unique and different about us as people who know how to stop, who know how to simply be and know that God loves you. And so I'm going to close by giving you just really quickly four practices that you can begin to step into and engage and as a, as a caveat, as a side note, I think this is important. You've, I've been using this word practice, and I think that's helpful language talking about these things, these four different practices that we're going to talk about. Because here's the thing that practice implies. Practice implies that we're not good at this, and we need a lot of work, right? Practice implies that we're beginners, and like it's okay if you fail, because we're practicing. We're practicing this together. There's another word that we use a lot that I think is really important and it's really good and I don't want to devalue this word and it's discipline, spiritual disciplines. But the thing with discipline is it implies that like you're really good at this. Like a disciplined runner is someone who runs marathons and like I'm just not there when it comes to these spiritual practices. We're just beginners and that's okay. We're just practicing together. So let me close by giving you four practices that you can begin to step into really practically. The first really simply is a weekly Sabbath. Find a time, 24 hours during your week, when you can stop working, you can stop achieving, you can stop performing, you can stop controlling. You can just be with yourself and be with your family, do some things that you enjoy, that you love, And you'll see, like, it's okay. Like, work didn't fall apart. My family didn't fall apart. Church didn't fall apart. God's got this. So find a weekly Sabbath. Second, and these are a little less obvious, (laughs) these next three. Um, Second is find a time quarterly, three or four times a year. Find a time when you can intentionally practice solitude, quarterly solitude. Um, Another caveat, Ways Christians have talked about these sorts of practices for years, they'll call this a rule of life. Like this is a rule of life that you can step into. And that word life is important because it's what Jesus promises you over and over in scripture. Like God wants life for you right now. Eternal life starts right now. God has abundance for you and depth and riches. God wants you to step into life. So what's a sort of way that you can set up your life so that you experience the richness of life that God has for you. Here are some rules, some practices that you can step into. Quarterly solitude. Practicing solitude means intentionally withdrawing from others so that you can be present with yourself. Remember, it's not checking out. It's being present with yourself and present with God. So what would it look like for you just three or four times a year to take an hour or a morning or and overnight, and practice solitude. Um, There is a retreat center here, and I'm drawing a blank on the name. The men's retreat has happened there the past couple years. Columba, yes, sorry, I didn't write this down. Columba has a a couple of cabins that are just one-person cabins called hermitages. Is that how you say that word plural, hermitages? It's a weird word, hermitages, hermitage. And for just a donation, like they don't, it doesn't even cost anything. They just ask that you make a donation. If you're able, you can stay there for a night or as long as you need and just engage solitude. So what would it look like for you to get out there for a night? Um, The third thing is regular silence, regular silence. Our world is so chaotic and so frenzied. Everything happens at this uh, frenzied pace. But there's silence. Silence that exists throughout your day. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and this week, because I've been thinking about these things, I've been able to find silence throughout my day. One thing that I practiced this week, which was um, embarrassingly difficult for me, is just as you're driving in your car by yourself, to not turn on music or to not turn on NPR to not turn on a podcast, and to just drive in silence. So I tried to practice that all week, and Monday or Tuesday, like I'm reaching for my phone to listen to a podcast, or I'm trying to catch the top of the hour news on NPR, but just silence, it was really hard. And then I'll say, like, as the week progressed, there wasn't any sort of, like, crazy spiritual, like, moments that happened, but I did find that it was a lot easier Like I wasn't reaching from my phone quite as quickly. I wasn't trying to turn on the radio quite as quickly. And I think that's a win that we can all step into, finding pockets of regular silence in your day. Even if you have young kids, no matter what's going on in your life, this is something that you can step into today. And then lastly, lastly, a yearly vacation. Yearly vacation. That word vacation If you look at the Word, uh, you see in the Word the exact thing that I said these liturgies aren't about, right? The root of our English word vacation is vacate, right? Like we're going to check out. We need a few days to just disengage from life and from our heart and from all these things. We're just going to check out. And that's not what we're talking about this morning. So what I'm challenging you to do at least once a year is to spend a few days and to not check out, but to actually engage, like to press in. So in a few weeks, we will, um, we'll go to the beach and like, I don't want to just be checked out on my phone the whole time. I don't want to just be checking out through food or drink. Like, I want to be engaging my family and engaging these sorts of practices. I want to be having fun with my kids and with my wife and family. Look at, um, look at how Chip Dodd talks about this, about fun, It's not disengaging, it's not checking out, but it's checking in, it's being human, it's being the person you were created to be. True fun involves being fully human and not being conscious about it. In fun, we are not forgetting ourselves, we are being ourselves completely. Have you ever experienced what he's talking about there? A little bit, like where you're just doing something and you're just not really aware of all of the anxieties, like you're just being yourself. You're not trying to be, you're not trying to perform, you're not feeling any sort of like toxic shame. One way maybe that y'all can engage this, that we can engage this is Sunday night game night, right? Amen. Sunday night game night can be a sacred thing. It can be a worshipful thing where you're experiencing what it means to be human, right? So Sunday night game night, tonight at 5.30, like show up and experience what it means to be human and to play wiffle ball and have fun and to forget yourself, Like if you do something clumsy, it's okay, right? Like if you strike out, it's all okay. This is a place where you can belong and know God, we love you. It's okay. If you let your team down, you still belong here, right? So show up Sunday night game night and start to put these things into practice. So every week at Christ City, this is so beautiful to me that we get to to embody these things. And a few weeks ago, we talked about one reason our liturgy is so important. If we're not just head creatures, thinking creatures, but if we're feeling creatures, if we have heart, if we're loving creatures, worshipful creatures, then our time of worship needs to not just engage our intellect, but it needs to engage our imaginations, engage all of us. So this sermon, this 30-minute sermon, it's not the highlight, it's not the climax of our worship service. Coming to the table is... Because when we come to the table, it's not just your head that's engaged. We're not just talking about words like you're embodying this, you're practicing this, you're bumping up into this physically. So consider as you, as you come to the table this morning, you get to experience with your being, experience physically these promises and what might it look like for you to experience these promises and then be able to step out and to have the courage to engage these liturgies of rest? When we come to communion, we see and we experience that God's with me. Like Jesus has given us something physical that you can that you can feel and that you can touch and that you taste, you put into your mouth bread dipped in wine or juice. And throughout the centuries, Christians have talked about like in a way we can't understand that Jesus is present here in the elements, which is mystical and weird, and we can debate about it and talk about it later, but we bump into God. like We meet, God is with us here, and we experience that God is in control, like there's nothing you can do to add to what's happening here. There's nothing you can do that can add to what Jesus has done for you. There's nothing that you can do to take from what Jesus has done for you. Like God's got this. God is the creator and God is your redeemer. You can give up control and simply receive. And then we see in communion, we bump into, we experience that God loves you. Look at what Jesus was willing to do because of his love for you, his broken body, his blood that we get to experience. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we get to partake together in this sacred, holy ritual where we experience these promises together, and it can encourage us, fill us with courage to step into these things more and more. So let's pray. Lord, it's a kind and gracious and good thing that you invite us to rest, and it's a commandment that we so struggle with because we're so afraid of pain and bumping into that. We're so afraid of giving up control, and we live with this illusion of control, And we're so afraid of not achieving or earning, just just being instead of doing. God, I pray that you would release us of those things and that during this time of communion, sacred communion, holy communion, we would experience, we would experience in this deep, profound way that would move us, encourage us, we would experience your love for us, that you're in control, and that you're with us. So come, Holy Spirit, and be present during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.